The truth of the matter is, and I, I'm always very conscious, you know, my job is to support cinema operators, but there's a huge ecology of people outside of those who run cinemas, be it the technology companies, seating, food and drink, ticketing, who've been in the same, if not a worse position over the last 14 months. And getting government to understand the size and the importance of that economic footprint, I think is probably, you know, kind of on the to-do list because it's become abundantly apparent through talking to government during this last 14 months that those companies are nowhere on on the radar of government. They're not seen as part of the tech industry, but they're as important to us as is any other part of the ecology, I would say. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, and I'm here today with Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro Magazine, and Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro. So uh, today we're going to talk to Phil Clapp, the CEO of the UK Cinema Association and also the president of UNIQUE, which is UNIC, the European Trade Association of Cinemas. Um, so really good conversation there. But before we get to that, we want to talk about a little bit of box office from this past weekend and a couple of other uh, quick hit news items that have come up since we spoke to you last week. So uh, Daniel, let's talk about what... Uh, happened, or as unfortunately has been the case a couple of weekends in a row now, what didn't happen at the box office this past weekend? Russ, it was a quiet weekend, I think, as uh, most of us expected, with only one major new release from a studio going wide. And uh, not surprisingly, that film ended up leading the market here in North America. Lionsgate's The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard opened to $11.6 million. Uh, that's the weekend gross. It actually opened a couple of days uh, before that Friday. So the actual total gross going into its uh, first week in release is 17 million. Easy comparison here uh, to sort of see where we're at with the pandemic, because this is a sequel to an original film that only made $75 million in its domestic run. So it's not exactly uh, on pace from its predecessor, but at the same time, I wonder in ideal market conditions how much more it could have made when we compare what its predecessor made back in 2017. In third place, we had Peter Rabbit Part 2, The Runaway, uh, making 6.1 million from around 3,300 screens. That is now up to 20.3 million in North America. In fourth place and fifth place, it's neck and neck right now. We'll figure out what those final numbers uh, came in, but we had The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and Cruella, both making 5.1 million uh, from around 3,100 screens. And guys, all the way down in sixth place, we went into detail about this title last week on the podcast, In the Heights. It doesn't look like it's going to be one of those uh, long-running musicals. It dropped 63% in its second weekend, only grossing $4.2 million. That's the biggest drop of any movie in wide release here in the market. It's now, it, it hasn't even made 20 million after two weeks in release. Really a, a huge disappointment. And as the uh, movie landscape continues to shift, so too does the exhibition landscape in the United States. Uh, Russ, we've had some news about a chain that as a Los Angelino is very close to your heart. What are we looking at here? So some of you may remember that a couple of months back, we got news that uh, the 
Pacific Theaters uh, locations in California and the Arclight Theaters chain were unlikely to reopen following closure for the pandemic. Uh, this week, we got confirmation from the company that owns Pacific and Arclight saying that uh, they're not just doing Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is a restructuring, but they're doing Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which is a liquidation. Uh, so the statement released uh, said, after a year of the pandemic's devastating effect, Pacific Theaters Exhibition Corporation announced in April that it would not reopen its Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters locations. Having taken steps to wind down the business, the company today is seeking protection under Chapter 7 of the Bankruptcy Code in order to liquidate its remaining assets for the benefit of its creditors. We are deeply grateful to our employees, our guests, and the film community for coming together over the past decades to create so many wonderful movie-going experiences. We're overwhelmed by the extraordinary outpouring of memories. Thank you for sharing these with us. We will miss you all. So what we know at this point is that basically all of the Arclight and Pacific Theaters locations are closed permanently. With the exception of two about which the future is uncertain, and those are the Arclight Hollywood uh, and its associated Cinerama Dome complex. Uh, the two are really one big location, although they're often discussed in somewhat separate terms because the Cinerama Dome is a historic landmark. So there's a protected status for that building. Um, so there have been indications that uh, the fate of those two venues is not yet sealed. But uh, as for all of the other locations, which include very high-grossing Pacific Theaters locations at the Open Air Grove and Glendale Americana malls, um, there's a, going to be, you know, the doors are closed, they're going to remain closed. We've seen indications that major chains are already looking at those locations, uh, both the Grove and Americana uh, Pacific locations showed up briefly in ticketing apps as AMCs about a week ago. Before that detail was quick, those pages were quickly taken down and there hasn't been any confirmation, but that is uh, certainly indicative of a possible future there. Uh, we're hearing there have been reports about other major chains being interested in some of the other uh, former Arclight locations. So nothing is set yet. Nothing has been publicly announced in an official capacity, but over the next couple of weeks, we'll probably hear a lot more. Uh, all of this is news simply because these locations are some of the highest grossing locations in California. They're important theaters uh, in LA where a lot of the, the domestic film business resides. So uh, we're very curious to see how this plays out. So uh, let's also talk about uh, a couple of changes uh, in the calendar, uh, theatrical calendar that are coming up, where in particular Peter Jackson's new theatrical project is unfortunately, no longer a theatrical project. Uh, Rebecca, what's the story there? Indeed. So uh, this film is called uh, The Beatles Get Back. It's uh, Peter Jackson drew upon a wealth of never-before-seen archival footage to create this documentary. The Beatles Get Back was supposed to come out in theaters on August 27th, and now, Russ, as you noted, it will not. It will instead debut as a three-part series on Disney Plus throughout a series of days in November um, obviously, they've added a whole lot more archival footage. It's the whole thing's going to total about six hours. Six um, hours? I, I did. I believe so. I believe it's three two-hour episodes. It's the Hobbit all over again. Peter Jackson, come on. And clearly, he edited the film. I mean, there is a I don't know two two and a half 
version, our version out there, they could, Disney could very easily still put that in theaters and put the more, you know, to use the Lord of the Rings phraseology, the extended cut uh, on Disney Plus. However, they are choosing not to do that. It is going entirely to Disney Plus uh, as of this point. No theatrical iteration of that, which, um, you know, is disappointing. We need uh, like a sound release. effect of like a chorus of boos every time a distributor yeah. pulls like <laughs> something that could, own. yeah, there's something that could easily, easily have made a hundred million, um, even with a day and date release. I mean, how much more wide appeal can you get than the Beatles? The Beatles. <laughs> the other film that had a release date change, uh, thankfully we do not need the boo sound effect for that one because it is still coming to theaters, albeit a bit later than we initially thought. This is Sony Picture Animation's Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, which has moved from July 23rd, 2021 to October 1st of this year. As far as we know, still going exclusively to theaters. Um, Looking at the release date change coming so soon on the heels of Peter Rabbit 2's underwhelming debut, it's it's hard not to see the links there. That could certainly be a factor. Um, also, you know, it's just, it's, it's a quote unquote spooky movie. So maybe, you know, an October release date just made more sense. Uh, it is the fourth film in the franchise. The first two came out uh, within a week of the new release. You know, it came out, they both came out late September. The third one came out in the summer. It is the highest grossing worldwide of the series, which you guess why they wanted to release Transylvania, Transformania in July in the first place. But this late September, early October corridor for this series is by no means unusual. That that whole corridor where it was originally, this uh, Hotel Transylvania sequel, where it was originally scheduled, is getting a little bit tight. I mean, we're seeing already this crowding in the back half of the summer where it it makes a little bit of sense to move it. I'm still not sure they moved it to a place where it can absolutely have, uh, you know, clear air, some open road in front of it. Uh, we'll have to see. Now, that late summer, early autumn corridor may be rather crowded, Daniel, as you note, but thankfully we are looking at a situation where we will have more screens open and available to play those films as the European market continues its recovery process. Our feature interview this week involves just that, specifically uh, the reopening of cinemas in the UK. Now, it's been a month or so since the UK reopened. Uh, It was supposed to get rid of all of its uh, pandemic restrictions this week, actually. But unfortunately, due to a new variant of COVID-19, that is going slower than expected. So to get an update on where the UK market is now, where it's headed, we'd like to welcome our guest, Phil Clapp. He is the CEO of the UK Cinema Association and the president of Unique, the trade body representing cinemas across Europe. A couple of questions to go through. I guess let's start at the top. What is the status of UK cinemas today? So UK cinemas were able to open from from mid-May onwards. The way this has been dealt with over the last 14 or 15 months is that the the restrictions on cinemas have been on a a nation-by-nation basis in the UK. So England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland have all been treated slightly differently. But there, there was a there was a, a a process towards the end of the latest lockdown where there was at least some alignment. So through May, end of May, cinemas allowed to reopen. We're at a place now where.
where something like 90% of cinemas across the UK are open. And those that have not opened are those that for whom the kind of the current social distancing makes it not economically viable to do so. So they tend to be very small venues where social distancing cuts down the capacity to a, a point where actually it's hardly worth opening the doors, to be honest. Um, across the piece, uh, there there's social distancing in place, which means that capacities are, are limited to something like 50% or less of normal times. Uh, and, and, you know, since, since we reopened in May, I think everyone's been very pleased by the response of, of audiences. Um, we, we've, we're currently dealing with the challenges of, of the European soccer championships, which always right. in, in, you know, in, in, in COVID times or non COVID times, uh, has a hit on audiences. And, and for the first time in, I think probably living memory, three of the four UK nations are involved in that. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a triple whammy, as it were. And then, uh, pr- probably not quite in living memory, but not recent memory, we've had an unusually warm summer until the last few days. So that, that has also had an impact. But all that notwithstanding, I think, you know, people are very pleased with the response of audiences and pleased with the response of audiences once they've returned in terms of how safe and enjoyable they felt the experience. Can you tell me a little bit about that run up to the May reopening, which was essentially the the second big reopening? Uh, and what were some of the lessons between that first period of closures? And how did that influence the priorities during that second period of closures as you were, I don't know if better prepared is the right way to say it, but handling uh, another type of situation um, during this crisis? Sure. So we we were allowed to. I mean, we had the first lockdown in in, in March of last year, and 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 then really cinemas only began to open again from July of last year for for what in in the end turned out to be a quite limited period of two to three months before we had a a second lockdown. And I think you know, not least given the fact that the slate of films wasn't as strong as we'd like, and given the fact that there was a great deal of uncertainty. That was not really a kind of full-blooded reopening. Um, And it was really, although we clearly didn't see it at the time as that, it was really a kind of test run for where we came from in May of this year. So learning around the safety protocols, learning around customers' response to the safety protocols and the extent to which customers do or do not take responsibility for their own safety. So as we approached, and it was a very long run up to the reopening May, I I think we were very confident that cinemas were able to deliver a safe and enjoyable experience without it being um, overly regimented or overly medicalized, if I can use that as a phrase, essentially. Um, But undoubtedly, there were some cinemas that weren't able to open last year for whom this was a new experience. There were also some cinemas whereby we've had a a furlough scheme uh, in operation over in the UK. And I think it differs from the furlough scheme in in one or two other uh, territories because staff who are on furlough are able to take other jobs at the same time. So there was a good deal of uncertainty, I think, particularly amongst the larger circuits about whether all staff would return, you know, whether they'd found other better paying or more enjoyable or other jobs that they were more confident of having a, you know, a return to. But in the end, I think, you know, notwithstanding a few local difficulties, all of that played out as well as we could have hoped. You know, staff returned, staff were were already aware of the safeguarding protocols. 
um, usefully many customers were now used to many of the things which were underway in cinemas, either because they'd been to the cinema or because they'd seen it in other retail and other leisure, for example. So face coverings, which is not something that the UK public have really been used to before, unlike some other territories, issues of social distancing, etc. So so we had a head start, I think, in, in May compared to where we would have been otherwise. But that still doesn't mean that we could be complacent. And I think, you know, all the signs that we've had from from surveys of customers in the run-up to reopening and post-reopening suggest that in terms of that safeguarding piece and in terms of that welcoming back piece, we've done as well as can be expected, notwithstanding, you know, whatever decisions our government or, or other UK governments take in terms of when those when those safeguards will be relaxed. Now, you mentioned that furlough scheme for UK cinema workers. We've seen uh, very different approaches in how local governments support the arts and support the cultural sector uh, here in the US, in Europe. What has been the situation in the UK? What support have you seen and, and what really hasn't been there so far? So there's been a good deal of what you might call kind of general business support. So so the furlough scheme was essentially open to all uh, business sectors. And, and for uh, kind of broadly termed hospitality, leisure and retail, and, you know, cinema clearly touches a number of those buttons, there have been additional elements of help. So, so all cinemas, indeed all businesses, pay kind of local business taxes. And, and, and those have been suspended for 12 months and they've now extended that suspension for a further six months. The VAT, the additional kind of sales tax, which is on, on, on cinema tickets and other venue tickets, that's been reduced from, from 20% down to 5%. Um, although, to be perfectly honest, for most of that time, cinemas haven't been open. So it's been, you know, kind of there in, there in readiness. And I, and I think we're, we're very much hopeful that it will be a, an, an additional benefit. And, and very much uh, as is the case in the US, for, for smaller venues, there, there has been additional direct funding from government. Um, we, we've had nothing like the challenges that I know US colleagues have in accessing that, although it's not always been as straightforward as we might have liked. And uh, again, that's something which has been dealt with on a on a on a nation by nation basis. So so in 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 England, for example, um, there have been two rounds of that funding, as there have in Scotland. Whereas colleagues in Wales, Northern Ireland, have only had one round of that, and there's discussions about a second round now, not least given the ongoing uncertainty about further relaxation. So we can be nothing but grateful for the support that's been there, and undoubtedly things like the furlough scheme and for the smaller operators, the direct funding they received have, have, have been a, a huge uh, support and, and benefit. We did, as you would imagine, you know, lobby the, the UK government for funding support for the larger operators. You know, the reality of the market in the UK is that the largest six or seven operators are 80 percent of the market. And, you know, you could have spent and government did spend, you know, significant effort and resource supporting smaller operators without really understanding that, the, the, you know, the critical mass of the market is, is somewhere else, as it were. But as I've seen in, you know, other European territories, and, and, and I know it's the case in the US, um, government were very loath to be seen to be supporting big corporations. You know, I, th I think the optics of that for government are not always the most straightforward or easy, despite the the impact and the benefit that would have. So those companies have, have had to rely on the more general business support. But we're we're in a place, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but we're in a place where actually we fully suspect that a tiny number of cinemas would have closed. Oh, that's a, that's a fantastic news. It is, and 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 to be honest, you know, not no disrespect to those companies, but they they were companies that were probably in distress, 
mm-hmm. before COVID, and all COVID right. really did was kind of hasten their demise. But, you know, I, I think, you know, through support from government and obviously through the hard work and commitment of the people running those companies, we're coming out of this. Actually, I would say not just the cinemas we went into it with, but within the last four to six weeks, we've had, you know, six to ten new cinemas open, you know, for the first time, you know, post-COVID. So no one's underestimating the challenges the industry faces and will continue to face. But it's certainly not as bad an outcome as it might have been without that support. Well, I think it's a huge concern, as you mentioned, if the major circuits that aren't eligible for, say, as much uh, government support, they represent 80% of the market. Of course, that has a trickle-down effect uh, on everybody else. The the smaller players and and the bigger players need to work together to to have this presence, to have that footprint. Uh, I know it was a concern here in the U.S. where we did see bankruptcies. We did see some circuits, unfortunately, uh, have to go out of business. It's it's refreshing to hear, A, that... the situation now in in the process of reopening hasn't been that uh, critical in in the UK, but also that that twenty percent VAT tax is down to five. Talking about long term changes, I really hope that's something that sticks for the UK public. Yeah, I mean to to be honest, I mean on the VAT change, we're one of I think probably only two or three um, European countries where cinemas and other cultural venues don't benefit from a reduced VAT level. Uh, I think the last time we looked at it, you know, Denmark and Hungary and ourselves may have been the only two or three. Uh, and certainly we, and as you'd imagine, others others in the cultural sectors are, are definitely pushing government to make this a permanent change. Uh, you know, maybe not 20 down to five, but some, you know, some point in between in order to, you know, kind of benefit and stimulate the the economy and and I think you know there are other there are other learnings from this not that we would have chosen to go into this to learn those things that we will be coming back to government to talk to them about you know so the the truth of the matter is and I, I'm always very conscious you know my job is to support cinema operators but there's a huge ecology of people outside of those who run cinemas and and you know even even you know putting to one side if you can colleagues in film distribution be it the technology companies seating food and drink ticketing data analytics screen advertising who've been in in the same if not a worse position over the last 14 months and 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 getting government to understand the size and the importance of that economic footprint i think is probably you know kind of on the to-do list for us, because it's become abundantly apparent through talking to government during this last 14 months, that those companies and those subsectors are nowhere on the radar of government. They're not seen as, you know, they're not seen as part of the tech industry. They're not seen as right. part of media, but they're as important to us as is any other part of the ecology, I would say. That's such a challenge, I think, worldwide, where I, at least for a lot of the general public and maybe some politicians, the image of our industry is just Hollywood producers, you know, all this yeah. wealth, all this extravagance. But the reality is we have a lot of hourly wage uh, workers uh, around the world and a whole ecosystem, as you mentioned, of vendors that are here supporting this industry that that have to wait for these cinemas to, to reopen. Now, take me back to that May reopening. Uh, We had a very different sort of approach to reopening here in the US, very fractured. It made the messaging uniquely difficult. When you had a film in wide release, only in some parts, 
not in others. Um, I think one of the, the lessons that I learned from the UK market is when it can be a national sort of campaign, even when there are some exceptions, you see results like Tenet opening last summer in the UK and, and having a, a fairly good performance, even with those restrictions. What was the situation like when Doors opened in May? So, so as you, as you say, you know, although there was the additional complication of the four separate UK nations, um, uh, England, Scotland, and Wales, you know, w- w- who were around kind of ninety five percent of the the UK market, they were all allowed to open on the seventeenth of May. So, so it was a it was a less challenging proposition to message that, as it were, and and certainly, you know, I think. One of the challenges which the major circuits over here who operate in, you know, all or most of those different nations was it was the challenge they might have faced if they were kind of uh, trying to fire up the central infrastructure for only cinemas in one nation rather than another. They were able to do that for the vast majority of their sites. And it does, you know, clearly last summer kind of showed us the, 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 the impact that the closure of the US had on the, on the willingness of the studios to release films uh, globally um this this time round because of the fact that the us was was where it was uh you know there was more confidence of that but we were able to to offer a more kind of coherent uh picture to colleagues in distribution ar- around releasing films and although as i say you know the weather and other sporting distractions have got in the way for the last couple of weeks that is a very kind of short term challenge for us and and we're able to look forward to as our other colleagues obviously a a strong slate going forward and the ability to message that and to do so with confidence that when we say a film is going to be released on x date it is highly likely to be released on x date is a, is a, is a huge benefit for us um we're still in the place of um kind of social distancing and 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 in england at least capacity limits so 50 percent capacity limit and the plan had been that today 21st of june those those limits would have been released um the 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 arrival of a new variant and the the vaccine program going phenomenally well but still with some road to travel means that the governments, the four governments, have, have decided essentially to push that back by another four weeks to July the 19th. To be honest, uh, at the moment, given, as I say, the other distractions, capacity is not the biggest challenge for us. But I think that when we get to July the 19th, the hope very much is is that we can present that as a further um, kind of sense of the return to normality and, 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 you know, kind of message that to customers. But certainly everyone is very confident that the sector will recover. Everyone is seeing very positive signs from those customers who have returned. And as the, you know, the vaccine program in the UK now reaches down into younger people, although to be perfectly frank, they show no reluctance to return. It, again, it, it, will be, it will be more straightforward, I think, to message around the return to cinema. And, and we'll start to see that, you know, kind of pick up its own momentum, I think. And how has the box office been looking like? I know Peter Rabbit 2 did fantastically well when it opened uh, around close to that May reopening date. How have things been in the subsequent weeks? So I think there's a sense of, I mean, it's not massive, but a sense of kind of steady momentum. So Peter Rabbit, you say, is now around 15 million. Uh, in terms of box office, you know, and, and is on a is on a good trajectory still. You know, we we have a, a series of school holidays at various points. There's no coordination across the UK, so it has its own life 
in terms of cinemas. Quiet Place 2 is doing exceptionally well. There are, there are other films like kind of Nomadland and, and The Father, which are picking up slightly different audiences. Right, and more of a specialty audience. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I think, you know, we're, we're very conscious that probably, you know, this is something which is clearly carried over from pre-COVID, but it's more important now. As we look at those um, audience segments which have returned, and equally as we look at those audience segments which haven't returned, we're going to need to think about how you know how which buttons we press in terms of programming to get older audiences in, et cetera, et cetera. But I think every everyone's pleased with the early you know the early box office returns, but it's very early days, and I think you know we understand that this is you know give, given the the size of the impact of COVID, not just in the UK but globally. You know, it's not something which is going to be undone in a matter of weeks. It's going to be months and it's going to be, you know, towards the end of the year, I think, before we're absolutely confident that we're tracking back to something like normality. Well, hopefully examples like scoreless draws between England and Scotland can have audiences ready to return to be entertained Absolutely. for a change. Absolutely. If, if, if we force people to watch turgid football like that <laughs> on a regular basis, then cinemas will be filled to the rafters. Surprises uh, never cease in this 2020-2021 period. But uh, as, as we look at the second half of the year here in the cinema industry, from the UKCA's perspective, what are your biggest priorities? What are you guys going to be focusing the most uh, as we close out uh, a difficult reopening year? I, th- I think we need to be, I mean, you know, clearly we will continue to do the, the triage, as it were, with, with our members. Not, you know, as, as I say, you know, 90% of cinemas are now open and those 10% that aren't open tend to be the, the smaller venues for whom social distancing makes it not economically viable to do so. And, and they will come online, I'm sure, you know, post the 19th of July, we hope when those restrictions are, are, are reduced and they'll be on a slightly different trajectory and probably need a little bit more love and care than those who are further, further ahead. But I think, you know, we will continue to deal with issues as they arise for individual members. But also, I think, act as a bit of an echo chamber in terms of the positivity that's out there. You know, not every week is going to be a great week and not every, you know, kind of film is going to be a hit. But that's that's back to normality, to be perfectly honest. That's the ebb and flow that we were all used to pre-COVID. So I, I, so I think it's about... Uh, ensuring, and I think we have helped to ensure that the foundations are in place for recovery. I think it's about, you know, giving a helping hand to those smaller operator members primarily, because that's the nature of what we do. But I think it's also about looking to the the medium and the long term. You know, we've lived a life over the last 14 months of, you know, kind of dealing with blows as they arrive uh, and, and working our best way out of them. Uh, and there's not really been either the, the the headspace or the opportunity to do some more kind of longer term strategic planning. And I think it's about trying to support our members in thinking, what does the, the medium and the long term picture look like? You know, there's a discussion underway in the UK, as I'm sure there is in most other territories, that with people having worked from home for the last 14 months and a gradual return to the office, but I think no great appetite to get back to where we were, where people are in the office five days a week. Then how does the cinema sector deal with that? How does it how does it provide something which appeals to people who are who not have more leisure time, but who have leisure time at different times, as it were? So I, I think, you know, we will continue to do that twin track of, you know, immediate help and support and longer-term strategic planning, and recognise, you know, if, if the last 14 months has, has shown us anything, 
it's shown how globally connected the industry is. So, you know, that's not just, you know, me and my day job in the UK, that's talking to Laura and colleagues at UNIC, the European trade body, that's talking to John Fithian and colleagues at NATO, and talking to colleagues in other territories, you know, just to get a sense of the the direction of the travel of the business and, you know, the things we need to be aware of to do our jobs better, I think. Thanks again to Phil Clapp for joining us this week. And Daniel, thank you for conducting that interview. That was terrific. The Box Office Podcast is produced by recordeditpodcast.com and The Box Office Company. Daniel, Rebecca, great to talk to the both of you as always. And uh, can't wait to do it again next week. And a quick reminder to our listeners, uh, CinemaCon registrations are open. The event is taking place at the end of August in sunny and very hot Las Vegas, Nevada, where we will all be inside of a casino for the entirety of the week. Go to cinemacon.com for information on how to register. And don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday when we will go over the box office results on the opening weekend of F9 here in North America. For you listeners that want to get an idea of how much we're expecting the film to gross in its opening weekend, go to boxofficepro.com where our chief analyst Sean Robbins will be publishing his weekly weekend forecast. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.